0: <laughs>
1: yeah do you guys know that song you don't know that song who do na- na- tell everybody who doesn't know the song the name of that song if you know it loving you Loving you. You might have heard this song at Starbucks yesterday. It's on their playlist. (laughs) Uh, You might be more familiar with it from the movie Megamind or the Bridget Jones Diary or I think it was The Edge of Reason. It was in the Simpsons episode. Uh, Some of us remember when it came out. (laughs) And actually, Minnie Riperton is the singer. Here's a picture of Minnie. This was her uh, apex of her career, hit number one in July of 1975, She had a range like no other. You heard it at the end. It's called the whistle register. She could sing beyond the falsetto. Now, here's what's interesting. You may not know the rest of that story. Maybe the song is familiar to you, but when you know the context, it makes it even more meaningful. A few months after that song hit number one, she was diagnosed with cancer. A couple years later, she died at the age of 31, leaving behind her husband who she co-wrote the song with and her two children. Now what you may not have known is this love song originated actually as a lullaby for her daughter, a a little girl named Maya. Maybe you'll recognize Maya. Saturday Night Live. Bridesmaids. But near the end of the song, you can hear the remnants of the original version, the lullaby. Listen to Minnie as she sings to her daughter. Listen to this. Do 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 do, do 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 do, do. Maya 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 Maya, la la la. Changes the meaning, doesn't it? When you hear a mother singing to her little girl, and that song now Maya can play for her children who never met their grandma. So when we know the context of the story, it it connects with our hearts in ways that it wouldn't otherwise. And the same is true for a beautiful piece of art or a sculpture, a poem, a song, or even the scriptures. It's incredible how just a little bit of context can completely change our connection to what we read And so we're going to look at one page in the scriptures, an entire book in the Bible called Philemon. And to read through the entire letter for us, I've invited Jen to come. Give her a hand as she comes. Jen's one of our leaders in our 20s and 30s network. So I want you to listen with an open heart and open mind as she reads the letter to Philemon.
0: Okay. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Ophia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to, church, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear above about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold in order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary." I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends your greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.:
1: So much. So can you see how important this letter is? See, I, my assumption is, uh, probably not yet, because you may not have read this before. I mean, some of you are shaking your heads, yes, because maybe you know the context. Or perhaps you're a, a two or a nine on the Enneagram and you just felt bad for me standing here by myself <laughs> with no response. But I, I want you to allow yourself to see the beauty of this letter in a way that maybe you hadn't seen it before. Uh, we, this isn't a, a, a book talked about a lot, but it's revolutionary, Uh, Kenny Green, who's our central campus pastor, mentioned to a couple guys on the arts team that he was speaking on Philemon this week, and they misunderstood him and thought he was speaking on Philemonion, which is not the same thing. This is different than that. But instead, we're looking at Philemon. So who's Philemon? Philemon was a wealthy landowner who lived in the small town of Colossae. And at some time, he met Paul, probably when Paul was living in Ephesus, and Paul was teaching And sharing about Jesus, that God had come to walk among us and his name is Jesus, that the the Messiah had come to rescue all of humanity. And somewhere in the middle of that, Philemon had become a follower of Jesus. And he went back to Colossae and he started a church in his home. See, before the year 300, the church always met in homes. It wasn't until Constantine, the emperor's mom, who was a believer, started building cathedrals and buildings. But he was wealthy, he had a home large enough to host one of these house churches. We also know that Philemon was wealthy because he owned slaves. Now slavery, when we read it in the scriptures, it can be something that alarms us. When Paul says things like, slaves be good to your masters and masters be good to your slaves, it just reads like it's completely out of touch with reality. But we have to understand is that actually this letter is a ticking time bomb written by Paul that would go off and lead followers of Jesus to become advocates for abolishing slavery. See, Jesus and Paul were not advocating for a short-term slave rebellion that would have minimal effect and be localized. What they were actually advocating for was a change in humanity, valuing people, no matter what their socioeconomics, no matter their gender, no matter their their heritage and ethnicity. But see, no one in the ancient world was talking the way Paul was talking in this letter. And in the other letters he wrote, he advocated for women and slaves and Gentiles. And the early church expressed that. There was no distinction between men and women Slave and free, Jew and Gentile in the early church, all had access to the Spirit of God. All had opportunities to use spiritual gifts. But the slavery mentioned in the New Testament is not the slavery that we experienced in this nation years ago. It was not an African slave trade where families were separated and kidnapped and taken hostage and mistreated in a new foreign land. In the ancient world, 80% of the Roman Empire was enslaved. And it had nothing to do with race. You could have lost a battle. You could have been a, a, a king in one place and a, a slave in another just because you lost a battle. But even still, what happened is church leaders, as early as the 600s, began advocating for the end of the institution of slavery. It was followers of Jesus, like William Wilberforce of England, who became anti-slavery while serving in parliament because he was now following Jesus, John Wesley, a pastor, wrote his friend Wilberforce in 1791 the following. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God is before you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till, every, uh, till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. See, in 2,000 years ago, slavery was how the economy worked. It's like electricity today. Jesus and Paul were not advocating for the end of something temporary. They were advocating for something that would end it forever. They were advocating for a new form of humanity. They were advocating for freedom. Freedom from Prejudice and judgment, but also freedom from all wickedness that plagues the human heart. So Paul, in other letters, tells slaves to become free if they can, and conversely, tells free people to not become slaves. And anyone who's ever used the Bible to advocate for racism or slavery is manipulating and construing the scriptures to say something it never said. They're using it for their own evil purposes, not actually looking at what has been written in the context of what was being shared. So Philemon was wealthy and had many slaves or another word to be translated there is bondservant or servant. And one of them was Onesimus. Servants or slaves in those days were dependent. They, They needed a place to live. They needed a place to work. But Onesimus did not like being a slave. And so he stole something from Philemon and took off. Now, we're not exactly sure where he ended up, but we know he met Paul in prison. The reason we can't tell exactly where that meeting took place was because Paul was always in prison. (laughs) Whether it was in Ephesus or in Rome, we're not exactly sure, but it's obvious that Philemon was trying to get as far away, or Nisimus was trying to get as far away from Colossae as possible, thinking he might be able to remain anonymous in this new big city. But then, of course, he did something to get into trouble and ends up in a jail cell with Paul, who Paul, if you know the story of Paul, he just could not stop talking about Jesus. That's what kept sending him to jail, because the message of Jesus is subversive. It's so countercultural. It was seen as a threat by both the pagan leaders and the religious leaders. So they would try to shut him up, but you can't shut up, Paul. And so there in that prison cell, he shares the great news of Jesus with Onesimus, who responds by surrendering his life and following him. By the way, if you're not familiar with Paul or you want to dive in deeper, we're looking at different books of the Bible every Wednesday night at 630. This week, we're looking at Galatians. Come, whether you know anything or or, or studied for or don't know anything, come and, and be with us during that. But here's Paul having a conversation with Onesimus, and Onesimus decides to follow Jesus, and it's interesting because it reminds us that the message of Jesus actually transcends circumstances, socioeconomics, heritage, because Philemon was struck by this message of Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, a wealthy landowner, but so was Onesimus, a thief and a slave, a wealthy aristocrat. And someone who depended on others to even just survive. The same is true even today. You see, inside the heart of every human being is a hole that can only be filled with the love of God as expressed through Jesus. See, all of us have secrets that we haven't told others. All of us have brokenness in our lives, and that's where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, does its best work. Onesimus tried to get away from his problems, but the problem with that is He was his source of problems, but he found transformation through a conversation with Paul who pointed him towards Jesus, and he began to take care of Paul. Paul discipled him and strengthened him in his faith, and they developed a closeness. So I want you to think of the dilemma, because at some point, Onesimus tells Paul what actually happened, and you can only imagine at some point in that jail cell when Onesimus said, I need to confess something to you, Paul. I'm actually a slave and I ran away from my master by stealing something. My master's name is Philemon. All of a sudden, Paul was amazed. I I know Philemon. I I actually helped him find faith too. And so now Paul has a dilemma. What is he gonna do? Because he doesn't like slavery. So does he just give Onesimus more money and tell him don't steal anymore, but just go further west, go to Spain where no one can get you? Or does he harbor him? Does he keep him and try to protect him? See, the problem is when you ran away from slavery, the punishment for getting caught was to be executed. So the third option, I suppose, is he could say, Onesimus, you need to turn yourself in and face the consequences, appeal for mercy. But Paul does something completely different, something that would not have happened without the message of Jesus. He says this, he says, Onesimus, I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to ask you to deliver it to Philemon. And this letter is about you. He sent him back. You see, the message of Jesus is one of reconciliation. The message of Jesus is God loved us so much that he came to pursue us, willingly giving his life, dying on the cross for us that we might be reconciled, we might know God, we might have a relationship with God, but that reconciliation doesn't just end there. This message, this good news, this message of reconciliation not only reconnects our heart with God, it reconnects us with each other. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother, the scripture tells us. You cannot say you love God and hate your extended family. And some of you were just with them. You cannot say, I love God, and have bitterness in your heart towards your spouse. See, when you love God, that love transforms us and allows us, enables us to forgive and even love unlovable people. That's the message of Jesus. That's the message of reconciliation. So he writes this letter to Philemon. He writes a letter to the church of Colossians, and he sends Onesimus to take it back. So I, I want you to imagine what that must have been like. I mean, if he was coming from Rome, it's 1,700 miles. From Ephesus, it's 180. But either way, he's walking a long way. And Onesimus is getting closer and closer to Philemon's house. And I can only imagine that Philemon and his wife, Aphia were sitting on the porch, and they see him. What must they have felt? What must they have thought? I mean, we don't know what he stole. He could have stole family jewelry from the heirlooms the sense of betrayal and hurt and anger they must have felt. So I like to imagine that Philemon ran off the porch to protect his wife from this thief, or maybe to protect this thief from his wife. (laughs) And Onesimus says to him, Philemon, it's me, I'm back. I know you're surprised to see me, but before I say anything else, I need you to read this. And he hands him this letter. Philemon, confused, opens a letter which reads, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Philemon looks up, surprised. You know Paul? How do you know Paul? Is he in jail again? (laughs) (laughs) And Onesimus says, yes, I just, I left him to come be with you. Philemon, confused, looks at the letter again which reads, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, that's his wife, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, that's his son, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I can only imagine what he must be feeling in that moment. Philemon is receiving a letter from Paul, the Paul who writes letters to churches, and now he's writing a letter to little old me, but it continues. Paul says to Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, God's holy people. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Imagine at this point, Philemon's feeling pretty good about himself (laughs) being so encouraged by Paul. And then he continues, verse eight. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Philemon realizes Paul is being incredibly kind and he has an incredible request. And so he probably looks at Onesimus and says, so Paul is vouching for you now. He's saying you are a follower of Jesus now. He's saying you're a changed man. But does he know what you did to me? Does he know what you stole from me? He looks back at the letter and continues reading. Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. This is a clever play on words. You see the name Onesimus means useful so useful, was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and to me. Paul's saying, I'm telling you, he's a new creation. He's not the same person anymore. See, the message of Jesus is not only that you and I have the opportunity to connect with God, to have a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, who created us on purpose and for a purpose, but the moment we ask Jesus to forgive us and to lead us, he actually forgives us of everything we've done or will do. He makes us new. He gives us the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead. We are no longer the same. Now, we might make decisions. We might forget. We might do things just as we were raised to or, or habits from the past. But that is not defining us. That is not who we are. And our spiritual journey might feel some days like one step forward, two steps back as this battle between the flesh and our old way and the spirit, living in the spirit, walking in step with the spirit. But with God's help, we can overcome, we can become and live out who he's created us to be. And so these last few days, we were with extended family. And I don't know about you, but I'm not at my best in those moments. (laughs) I don't spend as much time reading the scripture each morning. I estimated since Wednesday till last night, I was driving or sitting in the passenger seat for at least 12 hours. And my family just lives an hour west. In-laws live three hours north, but other road trips and side trips ended up being a really busy time. And on Friday, July the 6th, I had a, a terrible moment where I lost my temper And some of you remember, years ago, we did a series through the 12 Steps, and and I chose overcoming my temper as something that I really wanted help with. And I found great uh, freedom and even victory in many, many ways. And so I was really disappointed that I lost my temper on Friday. And so in that moment, uh, I asked God for forgiveness. I asked the kids and my wife for forgiveness. And... Everything seemed to be fine. We were able to move on. They even had a, a great rest of the road trip thanks to ABBA, the Swedish band. <laughs> I don't know if you've sung along to ABBA, but uh, some reason that just really, uh, really was fun. Dancing Queen, Take a Chance on Me, or my new favorite Super Trooper. Do you know that song? If you don't know it, isn't that catchy? All right, so that song and the rest of the afternoon was just so great. And I remember thinking, thank you, God. I'm going to remember this moment, July 6th, the last time I ever lost my temper. (laughs) Little did I know, July 7th was looming. (laughs) And the next day, I mean, I lost my cool again. I blew it. And you can't undo those moments. You can't undo the moments you're yelling at the people you love the most. I asked God for forgiveness. I asked my family for forgiveness. But then dark thoughts started. I don't know if this has happened to you, but I remember just on that drive, even though there was forgiveness all around, I was having trouble forgiving myself. These thoughts, you'll never get past this. You will always be like that. You sounded just like your dad. But in the course of the afternoon and the drive, I just remembered, you know, my dad sounded a lot like his dad yelling at his two boys, like my dad yelled at his two boys. My great-grandfather sounded a lot like his, his father yelled at his two boys, and my grandfather yelled at his two boys, and it's just a generational struggle, but that does not define me. Your worst moments do not define who you are. When you have said yes to Jesus, you are a child of the King. You are a new creation. You are free. No longer enslaved to what may have been passed down from generation to generation. And so on the road trip home last night, Abba helped us feel better. Both the Swedish band and God the Father. But along the way, we listened to this podcast. And in that podcast, they were talking about the Enneagram and they talked about how the Enneagram is a wonderful way to discover the false story you believe about yourself. And at one point, Ian Cron says, as a Jesus follower, every single one of these stories are direct opposition to the story of grace. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be broken. You don't have to be dot, dot, dot to be loved. See, God loves you just as you are. He offers you new life, and because of that new life, out of gratitude, you want to do the right thing, no matter how small it may be. When we blow it, when we relapse, we start again, we can stop the cycle. So Philemon gets this letter. He continues reading in verse 12. I'm sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than as a slave, as a dear brother." He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to forgive him. Philemon, I want you to let go of your bitterness. You can be free to love him again, just as he is free to no longer steal again. And then he says something remarkable. Verse 18, if he has done any done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus said on your behalf. If there's anything she has done, anything he has done, anything she will ever do or he is ever planning to do or does, may it land on me. Paul continues, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back that he throws in, not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Whatever he's done wrong, whatever debt is owed, charge it to me, I will take care of it. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. We can be free of our biggest mistakes, things we've actually agreed to be our identity, which are not our identity in Christ. Lies, stories about ourselves that are not true. We can surrender all that to God. But we can also be those like Philemon who is being asked to let go of the bitterness, to forgive just as you have been forgiven. That's the message of Philemon to you and me. Now, it's a bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know how it ends. But I can only imagine if Philemon truly was following Jesus, he had no choice but to forgive Onesimus just as Jesus forgave him. The real cliffhanger is what will you and I do? Jesus offers us new life, new forgiveness, a chance to live a new life, and even the power to do it. And when we fail, the chance to start again. And you begin to see these relapses happening less and less. And the new person God created you to be becoming more and more who you are. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there something you need to surrender? Because you are no longer a slave in Jesus. So I invite you in this moment, would you stand with us? We're going to sing a song. And during the song, I want you to sing it as a declaration of what's true of you in Christ. But allow this song to also be a chance to connect your heart to God that he might bring to mind things to surrender or people to forgive. But take advantage of this moment.